Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis about Hagar's life that God doesn't cast away sinners because the angel of the Lord found Hagar. Now, you can go to Friendship with God to download free messages as well as free resources all at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, our resource of the month is for Passover that's just a few weeks away. And Tom Cantor has an incredible teaching on the personal relevance of the Passover from Exodus 12 and Isaiah 53. It's a two-disc DVD production that shows the process and passion of the Passover lamb for the Jewish people and the personal relevance of the Lord Jesus Christ today in all of our lives. It's a great gift to give to a Christian, an unbeliever, especially at Easter time, and also a great gift to give to a Jewish person who may be searching for the truth and evidence of the scriptures and who the Messiah is at Passover time. We'll send you this Passover teaching from Tom Cantor on this two-disc DVD set for a donation of $20 or more. You can call us today, now or after the program, 1-800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. 3051 or go online to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Here's Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Your word, we find and we agree, Lord, that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Lord, we so much need that light and that lamp this morning. So help us, Lord, to have our lives guided by what we learned this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in uh, Genesis 16, verse 6, here, follow along, please, as I read. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by a fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and it shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well that was called Birlaharoi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. Now, remember now, in our last study when we were looking at this, we finished by standing in utter amazement at God. We really said the words of Michael, Michael, who is like God? And there's one word to describe the history of what's happened here in Genesis 16, of what happened, and that's the word, a mess. This is just a mess. We saw how this chapter starts off with Sarah just making a mess out of her life. She refuses to wait on God to fulfill his promise, which he had made to wait for a son And so she says, no, she has another plan. She does not going to wait for the son with Abraham. And so we saw how she chose to push her own idea of using her Egyptian handmaid, Hagar, to solve her problem of not having any children. And then Sarah, by doing this, 
We saw she made an absolute mess of her life. She destroyed her relationship with God by blaming God, as we saw, for making her barren. She destroyed her relationship with Abraham. She ruined her marriage. She destroyed forever any hope of peace in her home by making her home the place of this constant warfare between her and Hagar. So that's how she made a mess of her life. And then Abraham, we saw in verse 4 how Abraham made an absolute mess of his life by following her lead to refuse to wait on God to give him a son as he had promised. And by following Sarah's plan, he made an absolute mess of his life. He damaged his relationship with God by not giving God time to give them the son he promised. He destroyed his relationship with Sarah by making her jealous over Hagar. He ruins his marriage with Sarah. He destroys his own peace not just a piece of his home, but his own peace by making a son with Hagar and then being forced to deny that he cared for Hagar and that he cared for his own son. And so that's how he made a mess of his life. And Hagar, we saw in verse 4, how she made an absolute mess of her life by getting proud and despising Sarah. She destroyed her relationship with Sarah, who had authority over her. She destroyed her position in that home as the trusted maid in Abraham's house and was forced out into the desert alone, no protection, no provision. So when we look at her life, we say she made an absolute mess of her life. Hagar did as well. So the one word that describes this history in Genesis 16 is a mess. It's an absolute mess, and that's what we see here. And we see with this terrible history of Hagar bearing Abraham's son, it's a mess. Sarah's made an absolute mess of her life. Abraham's made an absolute mess of his life. Hagar's made an absolute mess of her life. And each one was responsible. Sarah was responsible for making an absolute mess of her life. And so was Abraham. And so was Hagar. And we could just imagine, as we think about that, God sitting on the sidelines there with all this and watching all this. And the real question is, when we look at this, is what does God do when we make an absolute mess of our lives that's the question and that's why we're so interested in this chapter because we want to see what god did when sarah and abraham and hagar made that absolute mess of their lives because it applies to us so we finished our last lesson by saying that god would have been absolutely right he would have been to just read the riot act to hagar and to sarah and to abraham and and he would have been right to have said You know, after all I've done for each one of you, is this the thanks you give to me? I'm finished with you. You would have been right. He would have been right to do that. So we look at this chapter really with a focus on what was God's response. And we look for a word that tells how God reacted to them when they made an absolute mess of their lives because we want to know the word, how God reacts to us. And there's the word we already saw that the word that describes what they did was a mess. But there's one word that describes what God did in response to that, and that's in verse 7. And that one word describes God's response, which was not to cast them off. Now, let me ask you the question. Look at verse 7 and tell me, what is the one word that is used there to describe what God's response was to what they did? Yeah, that's it. It's found. That's the word in Genesis 16, 7. The angel of the Lord found her. That's our word. 
I mean, we held our breaths up to this. We said, with all the, you know, when we were reading about what the whole plan being hatched and going for, and we're reading in Genesis 16, we're saying, oh, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Each one, but they did it. And then we trembled and we see, well, what's God's response? And God's response is this wonderful word in verse 7, the word found. It's a wonderful word. I mean, it should make us really happy when we see this word found. In the Hebrew, that, that word is mitzah. Mitzah is what it is. And mitzah is a word found here. It means found. is used all throughout the Old Testament. And when you look back at its root meaning of what this word means, found, mitzah here, it has the root meaning of to come forth or to venture out or to make a surprising appearance. That's what the word means. And so it's translated, and mostly is found, but it's translated with other words in English as well. And one of them is in Psalm 46.1, a very familiar verse to us, where it says, God is our, say it with me, God is our refuge and strength, and then what? A very present help in trouble. All right, so the word there, God is our refuge and strength, a very mitzah a very present help in trouble. In other words, God is our refuge and strength, and he comes forth, and he makes this surprise appearance in the time of trouble. We didn't expect it. Mitzah has the meaning of a person who makes a surprise appearance when you don't expect him. It's, it, Mitzah has the meaning of venturing out of the unexpected through all the obstacles. For example, you remember when the chalice, the cup, was placed in uh, Benjamin's sack when Joseph sent him away. And when the soldiers then, Joseph, when he was not known to his brethren, came after them and found them, no one expected, no one expected to find Joseph's chalice as they searched through the bags of each one of his brothers. But they found it in Benjamin's bag. And it says in Genesis 42, 12, and he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest, and the cup was found, mitzah. It was found in Benjamin's sack. So we can see that in that context, how mitzah has the meaning of appearing where it was not expected. And another place where mitzah is used is when God was encouraging lost people to come and find him, look for him, seek him. And he said that very famous verse, which we all know in Jeremiah 29, 13, and ye shall seek me, and what? And find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. You shall seek me and mitzah. You shall find me with a surprise. You seek God and you'll find him. That's a great surprise. You didn't expect it when you search for him with all of your heart. And that's what makes this word mitzah so wonderful in verse 7. And the angel of the Lord commonly is used in the Bible to refer to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate God. And it wasn't expected that God would appear and that God would be mitzah, find her there by this fountain of water. But he broke through. God broke through all the obstacles of his anger and of his disappointment against Hagar. And he finds her there. And it was a surprise for Hagar to be found by God after she'd made such a mess of her life. And so that word mitzah, that word found, is wonderful when it says the angel of the Lord found her. Now, when it says here that the angel of the Lord found her, that means obviously that the angel of the Lord was what? 
It was looking for her. You know, it's like, okay. It's looking for her. So he's looking for her. So we see a scene here where he's looking for her. And that's a wonderful scene for God. You know, when Eve had made an absolute mess of her life by eating the forbidden fruit, she ruined her relationship with God. She destroyed her marriage with Adam by inviting him to go down the same road of death and darkness. And what did God do when Adam followed her and made a mess of his life, accepted her invitation, ate the forbidden fruit, ruined his relationship with God, and destroyed his marriage. What did God do? Genesis 3, 8 through 9 is very important because it says there, as we've seen already, and they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, when it says that they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden, I mean, what did they hear when they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden? They hear God say, you know, what a beautiful day it is today. Or, you know, I got a lot of things to do, you know. And God says, well, I got, boy, if you only could see my to-do list. I mean, what did they, what did God say when he was walking there? What did he say? What do you think he said? That's what it said, because that's what it says. <laughs> that's what he said, because that's what it says. It says that. It says, and how did he say that? Did he just say, now, you know, casually say, now, where have you gone? I can't find you here. <laughs> where art thou? You think he said it that way? He had a tremble in his voice. He had a, where art thou? And that expresses it. And as soon as Adam and Eve got themselves lost from God, as soon as Adam and Eve separated themselves from God, as soon as Adam and Eve got themselves dead in their sin and perishing in darkness and deeply stained with the guilt and shame of their own sin, God sprung into action and he becomes the seeker of his lost sheep. That's why when he describes his Jewish people, as he did in Jeremiah 50, verse 6, he says about the Jewish people, my people have been lost sheep. He describes the Jewish people as, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. He's describing why they're lost. Why are they lost? Because they followed their rabbis. They followed their shepherds who caused them to go astray. They followed their rabbis, their shepherds, who turned them on into the bleakness of mountains and just caused them to wander from mountain to hill. And then the terrible, tragic words about what they actually did, it says they have forgotten their resting place. God was their resting place. They forgot their resting place. He then went on to describe himself, because that's the condition of the Jewish people, he then went on to describe himself in Ezekiel 34, 11, and 12, where he said, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out, as a shepherd seeketh out his flock on the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all the places where they've been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. So when he says, Behold, I, 
even I will both search my sheep and seek them out. That's the same idea as mitzah. It's like it's unexpected. It's like maybe he would dispatch and say, trusted angel, would you please go get the sheep? No, he says, I, I myself am going to go do that. That's why, behold, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. It's him. It's God himself. I, even I, he's out to search for his sheep and to go find them. So when this great Jehovah shepherd steps out from behind the curtains of the period of time in the Old Testament, and he steps out as the Jewish child that was born unto them, to the Jewish people, when this great Jehovah was made flesh as Jesus, and he dwelt among us, and he allowed us to behold his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, it was then that he described himself in John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. Referring back to Ezekiel. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. And then he also said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's why the single statement that he made to describe his mission in coming to earth is so important when he said in Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man is come. And that's the idea. That's the same idea as mitzah, the coming forth. The Son of Man is come, unexpectedly surprised. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Tom, you've spoken about humility and pride in the past as it relates to accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as the Creator. Now, is this whole issue of pride and humility one of choice? Or is it all about the hand you're dealt with in life, like Hagar? Now, in the history of the Jewish people, what illustrates how pride and humility impacts accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as Creator, for an example to our listening audience? One of the greatest histories in the Jewish people was the history of their deliverance from the land of Egypt. It was so long. It was 400 years of being in bondage. You know, one time I sat next to a, uh, an Egyptian man on a plane and, and I said to him, I said, oh, you're from Egypt. And I didn't tell him I was Jewish. I just said, you know, my people spent a long time in your country as guests, as a matter of fact. He goes, oh, really? I said, yes, it, re- it went very well at first. I said, we, uh, we had a very nice place to live. It was a land of Goshen. Thank you very much. And we were treated just royally by uh, the Pharaoh at that time. It was really good. As a matter of fact, one of our people had a very high position in the government. And I said, but, you know, I don't know if we wore out our welcome, but things uh, deteriorated a little bit. And uh, after a while, well, um, you know, we, there was, uh, we, we built things for you. We built pyramids. Uh, I'm not sure we were really uh, properly compensated for how much we worked and what we did there. But in the end, it all worked out. We, we actually got, got sort of back pay when we left. And uh, he didn't know who what I, was, what I was talking about. And I said, in fact, um, uh, we left and uh, we were a little discontent and we left. And um, there was actually a whole book written about our leaving and it was called The Leaving. 
And uh, it was called uh, Exodus, and, and he still didn't get it. And I said, we had a very famous leader that brought us out, and that was Moses. And then he understood who I was talking about. So anyway, the, the, the whole history of the Jewish people in Egypt is, uh, is very, very significant. And one of the things that happened is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 10, verse 3, when Moses and Aaron came in to Moses, I mean to Pharaoh, they came to Pharaoh, and they, they, they represented God. So here were these two Jewish men, Moses and Aaron. They're standing before the great ruler of the most powerful nation on the earth, Egypt, Pharaoh, a Gentile. And they're speaking for God. And they say to him, and this is the way the verse reads, And Moses and Aaron come in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews. Now, what is Pharaoh hearing? He's hearing that these are the spokesmen for the Lord God of the Hebrews. What was the real situation? This is not only the Lord God of the Hebrews, this is his Lord God and all of his idols that he's been worshiping, the sun God and and the animals and so forth. Those are no gods. Those are false gods. Those are idols. Those are no gods. So he's really hearing from his maker. In other words, Moses and Aaron are representing his maker. The Lord God of the Hebrews is his maker. Who is that Lord God of the Jewish people? That's the Lord Jesus Christ also. Only he hasn't stepped out into flesh at this point. So the Lord God of the universe, the Adon Alom, and he has a question. And the question is, how long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? In other words, God is saying, Pharaoh, he sent Moses and he sent Aaron. He says, Pharaoh, I got my watch out. And I'm timing you, Pharaoh, and I'm wanting to know exactly how long do I have to wait for you to stop this pride? How long, Pharaoh, are you going to refuse to humble yourself before me? It's a very, very scary thing. It's a very, very scary question. I mean, here is is the maker of all, God. The Adonalom, the Lord God of the Hebrews. Here's the judge of all the earth. And he's saying, you're wearing out my patience, Pharaoh. And I'm sitting here timing and I'm wondering exactly how long are you going to personally refuse to humble yourself before me? He says, let my people go that they may serve me. Have you ever asked yourself the question, I hope God's not doing that with me. Is God sitting there with me and he's got a timer and he's sitting there and he's asking, how long are you going to refuse to humble yourself before me? You see what he's saying there? He's saying humbling yourself or being humble is a choice. It's a choice. You accept to humble yourself or you refuse to humble yourself. In the case of, of Pharaoh, God was saying to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you have made the wrong choice. You have chosen to refuse to humble yourself before me. And God's saying, God's saying through, through indirectly through Pharaoh, through, through uh, Moses and Aaron, 
he is saying, Pharaoh, can I give you some counsel here? Stop this. Stop refusing to humble yourself. All that you've seen, plagues, great miracles on the parts of my servant, you know what those are? Those are the reasons why you should humble yourself. You know what you're doing, Pharaoh? You're hardening your heart and you're saying, I don't care. I'm going to refuse to humble myself. And God's saying, Pharaoh, start to care. Take it into consideration and humble yourself. You know what God's saying to each one of us? When you look at the marvels of creation, you look at a sunrise, you look at the beauty of it all, the trees, your body, the way it all works. You know what all that is? Information that you should humble yourself before the great creator. Humble yourself. No longer stop the refusing to humble yourself and humble yourself before the great truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is the creator. He's the judge. Humble yourself under that truth. Don't refuse any longer to humble yourself. In the case of Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron were representing God and they were saying, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? And how long are you going to refuse to let my people go that they may serve me? Well, you know what? Unfortunately, in the case of Pharaoh, he never did choose to humble himself. So a great disaster happened and he was destroyed in the Red Sea. He and his whole army was destroyed in the Red Sea. May it never be so for any of us. May in our lifetimes we take the decision, each one of us, to use the choice that God has given to us and humble ourselves before the glory, the majesty, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ as creator and savior. That's what God wants us to do. Choose to humble yourself. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. To encourage you to support this radio program, our resource of the month is The Passover, a two-disc DVD teaching from Tom Cantor. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you this DVD teaching from Exodus 12 and Isaiah 53. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org and get the two-disc DVD teaching on the Passover. Or again, 1-800-247-3051.